Amen. Let's go to Daniel chapter 9. He's a prophet in the Bible. Many of you know the story about Daniel in the lion's den. If you do, can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. And we've been talking here during this sermon series about prophets in the Bible. And Daniel's one of the most famous prophets in the Bible because he had that experience in the lion's den. But do you know how he even got to the lion's den? What country was he in? Babylon. Why was he there? Because the Israelites were conquered and taken into captivity as slaves. And then there as slaves, they were told they couldn't pray to their God at some point. But Daniel kept praying, and that's how he got thrown to a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were also taken as slaves from Israel as young men. And then they were told to bow down to an image that Nebuchadnezzar made. And when they didn't bow down, they were told to go into the fiery furnace. How many know that story too? Right? So now you know some context. Well, Daniel was a prophet that didn't just, you know, uh, live a good life. He also wrote down things that would deal with the future of Israel, and he also talked about the Messiah. And the book of Revelation, if you didn't know this, quotes more from Daniel than any other book in the Bible. So what's in Revelation is based off Daniel. So there's stuff in Daniel that we haven't even seen. If you've missed any of our prior services on the prophets, go back and look at our website or our app. So this is a series called Thus Says the Lord, a word from the prophets. Today we're going to learn about Daniel. He writes out a prayer of repentance while he is in Babylon. A portion of that prayer, he says, we have sinned and done wrong. Let's go to Daniel chapter 9, verse 1. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 says, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, <clears throat> excuse me, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures according to the word of the Lord given to who? Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last how many years? Seventy years, thank you. So I turned to the Lord and pleaded with him in prayer and petition and fasting in sackcloth and ashes. Now understand this. This is so deep right here. We're learning about the prophets and listen to how they worked together. Jeremiah was before Daniel and was telling Israel, we are going to get judged if we don't repent. They didn't repent, so they get judged. And Daniel, uh, Jeremiah said, it's going to last 70 years. Now, Daniel, he only lives about 70 years. So when he is taken into captivity, he's a young boy, maybe a teenager at the very most. And so right around the time of his middle age, he's radical living for God. He's reading Jeremiah. He reads in Jeremiah, it's only going to last 70 years, so about another 30 years. He barely makes it to the end of the captivity, by the way, if you look at Daniel's uh, timeline. And I have the portion of Scripture where it's found in Jeremiah where he says it's going to last 70 years, Jeremiah 29.10. And so here is the point. Daniel now realizes, I'm going to pretty much die in captivity. He realizes that now. Like, I came here as a child, and I'm probably going to die here as an old man. But he has hope that God will keep his word to Jeremiah. What we are supposed to do is look at the prophets and find hope. Even if we don't see it personally in our generation, we're supposed to keep the legacy of hope alive so that our children can see it. So because Daniel was faithful and prayed, their children went back to Jerusalem, got to rebuild the temple, and all of those wonderful things happened, even though most likely all he got 
to do was either see just a little portion of it or died right around that time, sadly. And so think about your life right now and put it into our perspective. We are in the middle of judgment. Wrath of God is being poured upon our culture because of all the sins that they're committing. And we're holding out hope that God's going to do something great in our country, that God's going to do something great in our families, that God's going to do something great in, in our world. But we may not always see it. We may not see it, but that doesn't mean that God hasn't promised to do it. So how many of you, I just want to know right now, are willing to be like a Daniel and say, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to keep preaching the message of hope and believe that God will keep his word. Amen? So just hear the word of Daniel right here. Daniel's saying, I'm looking at the word of Jeremiah, and he's saying it's going to come, and yes, it's going to be 70 years, but it's probably not going to happen in my lifetime. But I'll keep hope alive. I will keep believing what God has promised. Now, Daniel begins to pray a prayer of repentance based on what God had told them in Deuteronomy and in 2 Chronicles. Moses gets all the commands in Deuteronomy, and 2 Chronicles is when they built the temple with Solomon, David's son. And so they were told, whenever you guys sin, or if I bring you into judgment, pray towards this temple, repent of your sins, and I'll forgive you. I'll heal your land. Some of you know that scripture. So he's going to pray according to his ancestors and what he's supposed to do. I'm going to read the whole prayer in context, not going to stop. But as I do, I want to give you a visual of what we're going to repent for in this service for our nation. Would you scroll up a little bit, please, and click on that picture? You see, I want you to have the understanding of what we're repenting of. We're repenting for homosexuality. We're repenting for transgenderism that's affecting our children now. We're repenting for racism. We're repenting for abortion that's legal in this nation all the way up until 19 weeks, even in this country, uh, even in this city. We're repenting for the godlessness and entertainment, the drugs and the gangs, and we're repenting for false religions. Now, as you notice, as I begin to read, you can follow along on your scriptures, but I want that picture up here to give you an idea of what's going on. As we begin to read, you'll notice that Daniel uses the word, we have sinned. We have done this. And I can tell you from knowing the scriptures that Daniel wasn't doing the wicked things that his people were doing. But when he prayed, he prayed the prayer of intercession. And when you pray the prayer of intercession, you not only pray on behalf of yourself, you pray on behalf of the person you're praying for. And so you identify with them. And so he says, we have sinned. And so you may look up at this board and say, I got it, Pastor. I don't do any of these things. I don't need to pray and confess about any of these things. Well, my question is, do you know somebody that you love that is doing or approving of these things? And let me just be very clear about the approval being just as equal as the doing. Romans chapter 1 and 2 talks about the sins of a culture when they turn against God. And it says they know that God's righteous decrees are against these things, but they not only do them, but they approve of those who do them. So be careful for you to kind of say, well, I don't do it. If you are approving of it, then you are in the same camp, the Bible says. 
But now, just assuming that you're righteous, that you're here. But if you're not, we always have visitors. Let me just let you know, you're going to have to personally repent of this today if you've done any of these things. And we have people in every one of these categories in our church. Every one of these categories we have in our church right now, they may be sitting next to you. Okay, so just understand that. We love you. We want you to be a part of the congregation. We want you to grow with us, but you must repent of your sin and your approval of these wicked behaviors. Can I hear an amen? amen. Some of you may be like, it, that, this board is missing some things. Make your own and then put it on Facebook today, and I'll like it. Amen? Because if you think I'm missing some, you put some of yours up there, and I'll make sure to like yours. Listen as I begin to read. Every now and then glance at this picture. And see if we can do this today for our nation, our people. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been evil and wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous. But this day we are covered with shame the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, and all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, we and our kings, our princes, and our ancestors are covered with shame. Lord, because we have sinned against you, the Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Even though we have rebelled against him, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned. Against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought your favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because your great mercy. 
Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Everybody say, Lord, listen. Somebody say, Lord, forgive. Lord, hear. Lord, act. Thank you for your sake, my God. Do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Somebody say amen to that prayer. If you don't think we can pray that prayer over our nation today, you don't understand the Bible. All you have to do is substitute Jerusalem for Chicago, for Israel, for America, and the sins that he's confessing for the sins we have in front of us. We've sinned. We've sinned against our God. And now we're bearing the penalty of that. The reason why there's no peace in our families, the divorce rate is the way it is, is because we haven't put God in our marriages. And because God wasn't in our marriages and we weren't building our homes right, our children began to go in these different directions of sexual deviation and confusion, perversion, and violence. And then because of that, they were more apt to be corrupt. If dad can cheat on mom, then I can cheat on my taxes. And as we began to move away from the family unit, we lost our value as human beings. And we were quick to believe the lie that we came from the goo through the zoo to you. And if we're just animals, what's wrong with acting like animals? And then over time, we were told, oh, there's many paths to God. There's many different ways. And now we've put Jesus on the buffet of religion right next to Muhammad in a side of Buddha with a dash of Krishna. And so racism abounds because we no longer think we're one race, the human race. The leader of the DNA, the old man who discovered DNA is now testing Africans to see the difference between them and Anglos. Why? Because if we came from monkeys, go test the ones that look the most like the monkeys. Evolution taught him that. He's the father of DNA. You see what happened when we lost our senses? I look at the African-American, I just see different melatonin, just different color of skin. He's looking at the African-American seeing a different race of human being, a different subset of our species. And yet every person who says they're against racism and believes in evolution, they're hypocrites because it goes hand in hand. This guy is just acting out his worldview. There has to be some among us closer to the animals and some among us further to the animals. Let's start the testing. That's what slave owners did, isn't it? They said they were subhuman. That's what the Nazis did in the Holocaust. Says, said that Jews weren't really people. All you have to do is rob a certain group of personhood, and then you can do whatever you want to them. And that's why now what you're looking at there in that pen next to a surgical center is not a person anymore. That's just a blob of tissue. Those aren't fingers. Those aren't feet. Those aren't knee bones. That's just tissue. That doesn't have value. People tell me all the time that a woman has the right to do whatever she wants with her body, and I agree. But is that the woman's foot? Is that the woman's kneecap? Is that the woman's arm? The Bible says we're made in the image of God. And then you give a culture permission to experiment with whatever feels good. You make that your law. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody and it feels good, what do you have at the end result? A little Wayne. That's what you have. You get a little Wayne that says, man, I'm going to sip on whatever he's drinking there, that NyQuil, get high on drugs, tattoo my face. 
If you would have told me when I was a kid in school that people will become so pagan they will tattoo their bodies like people who worship demons in the jungles before they knew the true and living God, I would say you are out of your mind. Our culture will be smart enough to not do that. But this is exactly what this is. This is no different than a witch doctor. The Bible literally calls drugs pharmakeia. Pharmakeia is our word for drugs, but it's also used in the Greek language of witchcraft. When you look at Galatians chapter 5 and it says, do not practice witchcraft, that is the Greek word pharmakeia. Witchcraft and drugs have always go hand in hand. Why? Because you dull your mind and your senses and you open up your heart to the demonic to believe all kinds of lies. And then the gangs and the tribalism. You would think in the 21st century, we would have gotten over racism. We would have gotten over tribalism. But God specifically said through Jesus Christ, the Father spoke through his Son and said in the end times, there will be nation against nation, people group against people group. These people, the MS-13, kill more of their own people than anybody else threatening and taking over villages and cities and corruption through the government. And yet you move along from that and you see Portia and Ellen. Who does that hurt? What, is, what does that do wrong for a culture? And yet the Bible says in Romans, when you can't understand the purpose of family and sexuality, you have the worst kind of depraved mind. And is it any wonder that when they started with this, they said to us, and many of you were just children at that time because our church is mostly millennials. Most of you are not over 30. So you weren't around when this was getting pushed in the 80s and the 90s. The first homosexual that I met was the man who cut my hair and he died of AIDS. Okay? So I've been introduced to this since I was a little kid. And the agenda was the whole entire time, just let us live, let us do our own things, and everything will be fine. And we were saying the whole time, no, we understand you're going to want the children. You're going to want to influence the children. You're going to want to dress up as a transvestite and read books in a library to our children. So we said, no, we've got to put down the, the, the law of morality now. We have to stand for our families now. And so they said, no, no, no. And since everybody in the heterosexual world was addicted to porn, divorcing their spouses, and didn't have their life right, they said, well, since I don't want God to judge me on my sexual perversion, go ahead and do it. And now this is our children. This is our children now. This is what we deal with. Now, is anyone more of a sinner than anyone else on this board? No. And have we all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Absolutely. So what are we saying? We're saying we, we have sinned. We have done wrong. But I want to ask you a question today, my 21st century millennial church and jeans and, and your nice shirts today, you know, and, and your nice hairdos. We're all cool, casual church today. I want to ask you a question. Do you still believe these things are the sins we have to repent of? Do we have to repent of racism that's been rebirthed in our culture through the lie of evolution? Are you willing to stand against drugs and addiction and self-worship, self-gratification? Are you willing to stand for a traditional family and marriage and for children to be raised in the way of the Lord? And are you willing to look people in the eye, people you may even love and care about, and say Jesus is not one of many ways. Jesus said he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing? Yes or no? Amen. Then let's go back to the passage. Let's put off this scripture. 
Let's go to Deuteronomy. It's a serious message, but I promise you there'll be joy at the end of this service if we do this right. Go to Deuteronomy. It should be right there. Go ahead and scroll up right there. Yeah, go to Deuteronomy chapter 28 starting, let's say, in verse 12. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. As you open up your Bible to this passage, this is the law of God in the Old Testament for the Jewish people. Now, why don't we follow all 613 laws of the Jewish people? The reason why we don't do that is because Jesus fulfilled them and reinterpreted them into what we call the new covenant. Are some things the same from the old covenant and new covenant? Yes. The things that are the same from the Old Testament and New Testament are the moral laws of God. So God doesn't say in the Old Testament, it's okay to, uh, you know, it's bad to lie, thou shalt not lie. And then now in the New Testament, he's like, lie as much as you want. So the character of God does not change. What changed from the old to the new? Sacrificial laws, now Jesus is the Lamb of God. The ceremonial laws of having to do all of these cleansings and rituals now change because the Holy Spirit makes us the temple of God. So all of those things were based around the temple. What now changes is the civil law. God says now a kingdom will come. Israel had served a purpose by having a civil law. It needed to protect itself. But now the kingdom is coming spiritually, and so we don't need to enforce it with actual laws. So the civil laws of the Jewish people are are now fulfilled in Christ and moving forward in a different way in the New Testament. The religious ceremonial laws, priestly laws, fulfilled in Christ, moving forward in a different direction. And so what remains is the moral law. So we don't just throw away the Old Testament and go, well, that was for them, that's not for us. We go back to the Old Testament and we interpret it as New Testament Christians and go, okay, they had a covenant based on laws they had to obey, and when they didn't, they got in trouble. We're in a new covenant that has laws, commands that we're supposed to obey, and if we don't, we'll be in trouble. Does everybody get the application? Pretty simple. And what was the Bible of the New Testament Christian? The Old Testament. So they applied it the way I'm applying it today. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? I want everybody to see this as it comes up, that the very thing that Jesus reiterates when he says, what's the greatest command? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the very thing we were taught in Deuteronomy. So sometimes we as New Testament Christians, we go back to the Old Testament, we go, oh, those guys were just having to do bunch of laws. They didn't really love God. They were all religious. That's actually incorrect. They were taught to love God, have faith in God, and then from that love and faith, be obedient. The Bible's always taught, and you can find it, that the just shall live by faith. How did Abraham live? By faith. How did the prophets live? By faith. And from their faith and their love, they were obedient to God. So it's not that obedience was ever taught first. It's not become a better person, do better things. The whole point of the scriptures is has always been have faith and love in God. Let him do a work in your heart. Let him change you. And from that place of change, now be obedient. How many get that? Okay, so don't fall for the trap to think the Old Testament people only had law and now we only have grace. Grace and faith has been the only way people have been saved from Adam till now, okay? The difference is when Jesus is talking to the Jewish people, they had forgot faith. The Bible says they had forgot mercy. They were only living by the law, and by doing that, they became hypocrites. But they were supposed to see in the law what God was commanding them to do, but primarily love and have faith. Can I get an amen? 
Amen. Look at it again. Look at verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God? Let's keep going. Fear the Lord your God. Next verse, please. Thank you. And to walk in obedience to him. To what him? To love him. To what? To serve the Lord your God, if you could go back, with all your what? Heart and with all your soul. Let's keep going. And to observe the Lord's what? Commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. Okay, now let's go to John chapter 14, verse 6. New Testament, Jesus speaking. Let's make the application. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus makes it very clear to his disciples what he wants us to do. The Bible is not complicated. It's not meant to be um, shrouded in some kind of mystery. We are supposed to understand what it teaches and what it means for us. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So now we know Jesus is the only way to the Father. Now go to verse 15, same passage. Just go down a few verses, gentlemen, so everybody can see, please. Now Jesus saying, I am the representative of the Father. So Moses was the representative of the Father in the Old Covenant. Who's the representative of the Father in the New Covenant? Jesus. How many love Jesus today? Amen. Amen. So Moses would speak to the people the commands of God, and he would say, keep the commands of God. They weren't Moses' commands, but he would speak on behalf of God. Now watch Jesus as the representative of the Father. Look at what he now says after he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Verse 15 says, if you what? If you love me, do what? Keep my commands. Now, it's his commands. Do you get that? So that's why we know Jesus is the unique son of God. He's not saying keep God's commands. He's speaking as God, as the son. God the son equal with the father. He's saying now keep my commands. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now, let's just tie it together. Let's just go back. Old covenant, new covenant. I want you to get some good understanding of the Bible here. Old covenant, God says, if you love me, you'll obey me. New covenant, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. In the old covenant, they didn't do it, and they got punished, and then Daniel started repenting. In the new covenant, we need to do the same thing. We have to repent for our sins. We cannot act like it's just somebody else's problems. We have to repent personally of our sins and then pray the prayer of repentance for our culture. So when we look at what sin has done to our culture, it should bother us. We should not just want to run away and hide. We should be part of the change. And so let me just give you a few examples right now on how you can do this before we get to repenting. Number one, you can use your voice and your life with the people around you to speak the truth of God. They're doing it. They're promoting it. They're talking to you about it. They're trying to get you to support it. Now you need to preach the gospel to them and teach them the ways of God. The second way you can do it is use your social media. Do you know that every time, almost I should say every time, without fail, whenever I watch a new show and I go, oh, I would like to know what this actress or actor does in real life, and I go to their Twitter, do you know that almost every single time I go on there, I see them making political statements? Every single time. But the moment I as a pastor start doing it, people get mad at me as a pastor. But they celebrate every one of those actors and actresses that keep putting up all their political posts. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, I want you to pull out your phones right now. Pull out your phones. 
and think of the last movie you saw, last movie you saw, and look up the actor or actress you liked in there, and let's look them up. I want somebody to prove my point, and let's see what they're talking about. Because they use social media. Let's start looking up some of the actors or actresses we just saw in the last movie we watched. And somebody proved my point by showing me that they are making their points made clear. That they're talking about political stuff. They're sharing worldview stuff. Come on, look it up. I want some people to prove this point to me. Look at their Twitters. Look at what they're putting up. And then tell me if it has to do with politics, their beliefs. Are you seeing any of this? I'm going to wait. Come on, you all have to find out. We will be here for a while if you're not looking it up. Come on, what's the last show you saw? You need to start using social media. Come on, who's going to show me something? Does anybody see them making statements yet? Don't tell me everybody you're looking up doesn't make statements. I'm the only one that finds them. I want to make some points here. Come on. Do you guys understand the question that I'm asking? Okay. Look at their Twitters. Look at what they're promoting. Look at what they're sharing. Other than them sharing their businesses and what they're doing, what else are they putting up? Look at how the world uses their influence. Look up right here. Last one I saw, Parks and Recreation. What's his name? What's, what's Ron's name? Ron Swanson. What's his name? What's his name? Nick Oberlin? Alferman. Nobody's found anything yet? Pastor was lying, I guess. Nobody talks about anything on politics on their pages? Why is it? I'm just asking you guys. Before you do, just thank you. I don't know if you guys are slow, but why is it the first one I look up? It's within the first tweet. I don't, no, no, I'm just asking. Were you guys not doing what I was asking, or was it slow? I mean, maybe I'm up here, I'm in the hot lights. The very first one I look up, he's sharing a tweet, and he's making his political statement. What he is sharing here is, Sinead has always been my hero. I knew Chris K was amazing, but I didn't know just how amazing. And it shows Sinead O'Connor ripped up a picture of the Pope on live television in protest of the rampant child abuse the Catholic Church was actively covering up. This was shared two hours ago. So he's ripping the Catholic Church, right? No problem with that. Makes sense, right? What else did you find, Desi? Bring it up here if you could or hand it to somebody. I know you got your hands full. Go and bring it up here. I want to see who this is. And you all are afraid to do this on social media. These people do it, and they don't care if you like it or not. So you looked up Sandra Bullock, right? And Sandra Bullock said, there's no race, no religion, no class system, no color, nothing, no sexual orientation that makes us better than anyone else. We're all deserving of love. So now what does she basically say to you as her fan? Go fly a kite if you don't like that. And yet you're afraid to do that. You're afraid to say that same thing. See, I double dog dare you right now in this church to put up a verse of Scripture and say, I believe this. John 14, 6 is a good one. A few more moments. Who else has got another one for me? Look up two or three if you have to. Some of you are slow right now, but I want another one. 
I want another one of your heroes. I want another, all these young people in the back, you haven't got nobody talking about politics or race or, or gender or immigration or the women's march. Y'all ain't finding none of that on your page. You got one? Come run it up here, sir. Run it up here. I'm not lying. Maybe, maybe all your people don't, but I just looked up the first one I went to here, right? Here, who we got here? Mandy Moore. What made you want to go to Mandy Moore? Oh, this is us. Okay, I didn't know she was in that show. So Mandy Moore, wow, Mandy Moore, um, 19 hours ago, bless this guy, should have our unending respect, not our petulance, ignorance, and mockery that happened today. When did human de- decency become partisan? So she's standing against Trump in the wall. That was done 19 hours ago. When was the last time you put up a picture of abortion and stood up against that? There's 800,000 children in abortion clinics that are murdered every day. When was the last time you did that? They'll do it. Let's go back to preaching now. Thank you. Enough Twitter. Enough Twitter. Let's go back to the scriptures, please. Go back to the scriptures, dear sir. The Bible says that he gives us repentance as a blessing. Go ahead and scroll down just a little bit. Go scroll down through the message, please. Thank you. I want you to turn with me to 2 Chronicles 7.14. You can go all the way down right there. Thank you. Let's turn there. I'm going to have it here on the screen, but I also want you to see it in your own Bible because there's a context of what we need to understand when we're making prayers of repentance. We're not just saying, God, I'm sorry, so I can go do it again. We're saying, God, I'm sorry, may we never do it again. That's supposed to mean something to us. And then if we actually care about the culture we live in, we're going to talk about it. We're going to say, man, God doesn't like it when we do this. Look at 2 Chronicles 7.14. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is Solomon dedicating the temple, teaching us how to pray when things go wrong. Now remember, for them it was an Old Testament temple. For us, it's a New Testament body where Jesus dwells. So we go to the Holy Spirit in our prayer closet, and we pray this to the Lord. Look at what it says. Let's just start in verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among the people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. What does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to admit that you're wrong. It, it, it means that there's a greater standard than you that you're willing to submit to. When I humble myself to my wife, do you know that there is nobody around, but it feels like everybody's watching? I feel like that same embarrassment as if I was to make a mistake in front of you right now. Why is that? Because it doesn't matter if you're repenting before one person or a hundred people. We get embarrassed when we have to admit we're wrong. We get flustered. Those of you here that get, you know, little rosy cheeks, your face will turn red. And it causes you emotionally to go through something that's uncomfortable. 
But what does it mean when you do it in relationship, like with your wife or your husband, with your spouse? What it means is I love you enough to go through the uncomfortability of admitting I'm wrong and feeling embarrassed because I know you were right. And this relationship means more to me than my feelings of embarrassment. So let's just think about it. What does it mean for Ellen to repent? What does it mean for Ellen to do this? She has to admit she was wrong. How easy do you think that will be for her? No, the Bible says it's going to be impossible even. The only way it will happen is if she lets God give her the strength to do it. How many of you here have friends or family or you have been a part of someone having an abortion? Either you did it or you helped your, you know, your girlfriend to do it or you know people who are doing it. How hard do you think it's going to be for that person in our culture, that college student, that, that single mom that had a one-night stand that now feels embarrassed? How hard do you think it's going to be for her or that boyfriend to admit, I am guilty of murder? What about the parents indoctrinating their children? How hard do you, with, with, with transgenderism, homosexuality, how hard do you think it's going to be for them to say, I've sinned? Or for the racists to go, you know what? This is not right. And if this is not right, that there's different races, then that means the system that it's built upon is not right. I have to stop thinking about us being some big accident that came from a big bang and start understanding there's design, there's a creator, and I'm going to give an account to that creator. How hard do you think it would be today for Richard Dawkins or for these scientists to go, I was wrong, there's a creator? Impossible without God's grace. Impossible. Go to Romans chapter 3 in closing. How many are ready to close it out and start repenting? If not for your sins, but for the sins of our nation. How many are ready? Come on, how many want to see change? Okay, it may seem impossible in our own will, and it is, I get that, but it's not impossible for God to do it. Go to Romans chapter 3 and tell me if this doesn't describe our culture right now. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 lays it out and says exactly how we're all like. Go to verse 9. Romans chapter 3, verse 9. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. So even if we say we're not like those on the screen, we're not supposed to look down on them and say we're so much better. We have no advantage, not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin, homosexual and heterosexual, Republican and Democrat, pro-choice and pro-life, Christian people and non-Christian people. We make the charge that all are under the power of Sin. Come on, y'all, help me. They're all under the power of sin. And sin is powerful, isn't it? It's powerful. Look at how it deceived you. Look at how sin deceived you in your time before you were a Christian. I know it deceived me. It didn't matter how much people told me these things were wrong. It deceived me. But as we'll read here in just a moment, God's power is greater. But let's be honest, there's a power of sin right now. And the Bible says it's not a physical battle. 
That's why if Ellen was here or little Wayne was here, they wouldn't get, you know, a phys- I wouldn't get into a physical fight with them. I would give them my love. I would say, I love you just like I do when I go to Belmont and Clark or when I preach in front of the high schools and I see them there or uh, I meet a gangbanger, you know. I'm not going to try to scare them straight, you know, and say, hey, come to my house for a barbecue. The only thing you don't know is I'm going to be hanging you over that barbecue, you know. I want you as a gangbanger to feel the fires of hell. No, I don't do that. I preach to them with love and compassion, telling the truth, telling the truth, right? Hating the sin, loving the sinner, like that old adage goes, but I'm doing it because I know what it's like to be under the power of sin myself. I was under the power of sin. And let's keep reading. The Bible says all have turned away. There's none righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks God's. All turned away. They've all become together worthless. There's no one that's good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poisons of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Okay? So that's some power, isn't it? It's messed up a culture. Now go just right back to Romans chapter 1. Go back a chapter. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, verse 16, rather. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the what? The power of God. What is it? The power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Adam, would you come, please? As Adam comes, we're going to get ready to start repenting because I believe that the gospel, the power of God is stronger than all the power of sin in this world. I am not preaching today for you just to walk out if you're saying, man, Christians are so judgmental. They think they're better than everybody else. No, I am preaching to you today the gospel because I want the power of God to take away your sin like it has taken away my sin. And you might say, Pastor, well, now that you've become a Christian, does that mean you're sinless? No, but I sin less. And you better believe as a true Christian, when I confess my sins, it is genuine to not do it again. So today, if I were to sin, I am not going to confess my sin so I can keep doing it. That wouldn't make sense in my relationship with my wife. Just think about that. If my wife told me, honey, When you wake up in the morning and you do this thing, whatever it may be, she says, I don't like it. And let's say I do it the next day. Am I going to say I'm sorry with the intention of doing it every single day for the rest of our lives just so that I can test her forgiveness every single day? No, if I love my wife and even if I were to do that thing again, I would be truly sorry and go, honey, I'm sorry. It's bad habit. I shouldn't have done that. I will do better next time. It's my goal not to do that anymore because I understand me doing this thing offends you. Well, how much more so with God? Are we supposed to come before God today and go, okay, pastor's right, I'm in church, I get it, Bible's pretty clear, those are sins, forgive us, Jesus. And then now you just go out there and do it again? Like the guy I was talking to who's sleeping with his girlfriend, and he's like, yeah, we know it's a sin, but we ask God for forgiveness every night, we're good until we get married. Come on. When you look at the cross, is that what you see? Do you really see Jesus dying so you can get a get a get out of jail free card? Is that all the blood of Jesus is to you? Or do you see a relationship with a person that made laws 
because he loved us. Laws about sexuality are laws to guard our sexuality. Laws about how we treat each other are laws meant to protect and guard each other. Laws about culture and how we make laws in the land and govern the people, those are laws so that our children's children can have safety. We tear off those laws. It's like driving on a highway on a big old mountain with no guardrails. After a while, somebody's going to get off that, drive right off that cliff. You just keep telling young people long enough, you can do whatever feels right. They're going to start having surgeries, become cats and dogs pretty soon. And how many have already seen a Jerry Springer show or Maury Povich show where they've already done it? I'm a snake. I'm a dog getting implants. Man wanted to be a snake, cut his tongue so he could slither his tongue to have him two pieces coming out. Cut his tongue to do that. How long is it going to take before people say, well, if you can be the opposite sex, you know, as what you were born as, and I can be a different age, and you're going to have a 30-year-old man dating a 6-year-old girl because he says, really, I'm just a, a little, little boy. They're already trying that. Some of the founders of the homosexual agenda were pederasts. And yet now they're being looked at in the gay movement as heroes. They don't want to talk about what they were and how they lived and what their writings were. I could be here all day. You know, people want to talk to you about other religions as if the death of Jesus is just your Christian thing. You know, Buddha did some great things too, by the way. Don't you know? I mean, he went under a tree. He found nirvana. That's pretty awesome. You know, Jesus died on the cross. That's cool too. But you need this. Really, Angelina Jolie? Really? It's, it's similar? A man going under a tree saying he sees a light and becomes detached is the same thing as the pre-existing Son of God coming in the flesh of the creation he made to live a sinless life than to die a brutal death and in death to say forgive them for they know not what they do and then rise himself from the dead on the third day be with his disciples and then ascend to heaven that's the same as this come on hello somebody isn't the death and burial and resurrection and ascension the gospel isn't there a power there that's in nothing else Have you experienced that power? There is nothing like the power of the gospel. That's why today we have former lesbians in this church. That's why today we have former gang chiefs in this church. That's why today we have former racists in this church. That's why today we have women who have committed abortion in this church. People talk to me all the time and they say, well, pastor, I see you on Facebook or I saw some message. You must have a church of a bunch of senior citizens that think old school. I say, man, no, we only got a few gray-haired people in here like Mr. Swartz. I said, the rest of the old church is 20, 30-something. And here's the thing that gets them every time. I tell them 80, 70 to 80% of our church never went to church before they walked through these doors. <laughs> So they're trying to play nice with the culture, these pastors, my my friends, you know. They're trying to play nice with the culture so they can win this generation. And they're trying to, like, shame me. Go, oh, no, that won't work. Because, you know, if I said that to my person, you know, this person in my church, they would leave. Shame on you, Joe. You're going to lose this generation. (laughs) Woo! 
Bible says the foolishness of God is greater than the wisdom of this world. The people of this world, like you and I, because that's how I came to Christ, by the way, in the Generation X you know, era, where they said it wasn't going to work with me. This is how I came to Christ. The reason why it works with you is because God is not trying to argue with your head. He's trying to speak to your heart. He wants to open up your soul. That part of you on the inside that you know is incomplete without God. Well, here's how it works. That feeling, that incompleteness getting filled goes hand in hand with the commands of God. Goes hand in hand. You just read it a couple times in the Old and New Testament. If you love me, keep these commands. If you love me, keep these commands. Why? Because he loves us and sees what those sins do to us. It wasn't that he was trying to keep Adam and Eve from something special in that tree. What he was giving them was a choice to ruin the whole entire human race if they wanted to, or to love him and obey him. And it's not like all these other sins that have followed now have something that you really need. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first God and his kingdom, his righteousness. And all these things will follow. Amen. Let's stand up and give it up for Jesus today. Come on. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Amen. You love Jesus. Band and altar worker, would you come, please? Parents, if you've got children in the back, go get them now. We're going to close out in prayer. How many want to start repenting for the things of this nation right now? All right, let's start repenting. Let's get out a microphone, a portable mic. I'm going to have some of our altar workers start repenting. And then if you need prayer, we'll pray for you. But mothers, make those moves to get your children. If you got to go, you got to go, I understand. But we're going to start praying and repenting. I'm going to start with some of our altar workers here. They're just going to pick some different areas of our nation that we need to repent and start agreeing with them. And we'll dismiss in just a moment. Go ahead, starting with the Olis. Go ahead, let me just turn it on for you. Thank you. Go ahead. Come on, let's repent for our nation today. Thank yes, you, Lord. Father God.